Well, good morning, Redemption Church, and welcome again to our home worship guide. We're so thankful that you've joined us here this morning to worship our God together. If you don't know me, my name is Ben, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church, and we're, we're glad you've joined with us this morning. Uh, we're going to be jumping into the book of Malachi today, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump right into that. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for this uh, day. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for a time to worship you, Lord, with the body of Christ, whether we are together in person or not. We are one in you, and so we pray that you get all the glory this morning. I pray that you would speak, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us, that you would say what you want said, that you would have us hear what you want us to hear. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are creatures of experience. Uh, by that, I mean that we, we experience fun, we experience uh, excitement and happiness and joy, and, and we also experience pain, and we experience suffering and loss and sorrow. And we learn early on that we want to avoid suffering, right? We want to avoid uh, pain and sorrow and, and things that hurt. As a toddler, maybe you reach for a, a, a hot surface or experienced a small shock once or twice, but you learn from that unpleasant experience and then you avoid making that same mistake. Again, we learn quickly. We want the good experiences. We don't want the painful experiences. But we also have learned that sometimes pushing through the pain and the suffering is more satisfying than retreating from it, right? Athletics, I think, is a good example. Like it hurts to get in shape, uh, to go to the gym or to, to run maybe like several times a week. But the reward of winning the game or uh, finishing the race is often something that we find worth bearing the pain for. And sometimes it's not even about winning, right? Like the first mile of a run may hurt really bad, but we know that after that, there's a more refreshing part of the run to come. This is all stuff that we naturally like know and learn. But when it comes to our faith, for whatever reason, we tend to reject the idea of suffering and sacrifice. Like, I mean, some might uh, suffer and sacrifice in order to try to uh, pay some sort of penance or gain some sort of righteousness, but that, uh, that has no place in the good news of Jesus Christ, which offers us forgiveness in and through the person of Jesus for free. It's, it can't be earned. It's not something that you can get by beating yourself, either physically or emotionally or spiritually. But by and large, what I see in the American church and even here in our town and even in our own family at Redemption Church is a struggle to embrace suffering in light of the gospel. Like a struggle to believe that the good news of Jesus means that we can run a race that's painful because he is redeeming our pain by bringing about everlasting healing in and through us. And because we struggle to embrace the pain, we're growing ever more suspicious of faith and of a God uh, that allows it. And you may have heard me say this before, or maybe even recently, but our suspicions are poisonous, right? Satan has always used them to divide us from God and from one another. The serpent in the Garden of Eden way back in Genesis, he used this very tactic to tempt Adam and Eve with the forbidden fruit. Like I said this morning, we're diving into Malachi, the final book of the Minor Prophets. And it's been a long road for us as we've gone through all these books. But it's been so rewarding, right? As we have seen our God of justice and mercy and compassion 
prove his sovereignty and his goodness and set the stage for the coming king, for Jesus Christ. And as we've gone through the minor prophets, the gospel of Jesus has just been all over the pages. And I believe we've seen and we've kind of found together a gospel that's maybe bigger than we have imagined it to be. And that's key. That's key for us. Because it's often when we think we've got God and his good news all wrapped up and figured out and packaged nicely and nailed down, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. And in Malachi, as we jump into the first chapter this morning, we're going to find that a a people whose uh, perceived experience of God has not lined up with their expectations of God. And we're going to see how the prophet confronts a people who are losing trust in God and being given over to their suspicions because of their ongoing pain. And I think that there's a word for us here this morning as we continue to face trials of many kinds in 2020 and as we head into an election week in the United States this week. I believe this passage can help guide us to put our trust in God through times of pain and through times of prosperity. So let's jump right in. Let's go ahead and read Malachi 1, 1 through 14. It says this, The Oracle of the Word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or will show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For, the rise, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what awareness, uh, what weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame and is sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. 
Now, as we get into this, I want us to remember from our time back in Haggai and from Zechariah, like to remember the hopes of the people who have returned from exile, right? The exile was hard, harder than any of us probably can begin to understand. I remember Reggie describing it months ago, uh, how the Israelites were led away into captivity by the Assyrians with hooks in their mouths and in their cheeks. And that's how exile started. And then after there was Assyria, there was Babylon. And then after Babylon, there's Persia. And along the way, God's people have been enslaved. They've been treated brutally, even been the target of genocide, as we see in the book of Esther. And the misery of the exile is portrayed in Psalm 137, 1 through 3. It says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. See, not only were they captured and tormented and enslaved, but they were forced to sing songs of their heritage and of their home and of their promises and of their God to entertain those who owned them. We just don't get it. We don't get it. But now they've returned home. And there's been like expectations about what happened, what would happen now that they're back. Like not just freedom from their captors, but justice, right? Surely God would restore the kingdom and bring justice. Like the prophets told them to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the walls and so forth. And they've done that. So certainly God was going to restore their fortunes and lay waste uh, to their enemies. Surely the long-awaited kingdom of God was coming, but the rebuilding has happened, and they've gone on for some time now, and they've been waiting, and the kingdom of God uh, that they've expected just hasn't shown up. They aren't experiencing what they expected. You know, if you watch the Bible Project video uh, that's right above this in the Home Worship Guide, which I recommend that you do if you haven't, you'll, you'll see how this book is built around some disputes between God and his people. And we see it right away in verse 2, uh, Malachi 2. It says, God says, I have loved you. And the people who aren't experiencing what they expected respond saying, how have you loved us? Like if you're a parent, you might begin to feel how cutting that response is to the heart of God. You know, I learned this a long time ago from Andy Stanley. He's a pastor at North Point uh, Community Church in Atlanta, uh, and it's been very helpful to me. He said that when what we experience doesn't line up with what we expect, it leaves a gap. And we have to fill that gap with either trust or suspicion. And Andy shared that kind of in the context of human relationships and how we can work well together and all. But it's true about our relationship with God as well. And I, and I think we see it happening here in Malachi 1. Like God says, I have loved you. And the people respond with this suspicion. How have you loved us? That's the beginning of the first dispute here in chapter 1. But let's go ahead and take a look also to the second uh, dispute, which is with the priests. God says this in verses 6 and 7. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? 
by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. See, God is pushing in now on this second dispute. He has insisted that he has loved his people, and he's offered some evidence of that uh, already, but the whole of their history and of God's faithfulness in keeping his covenant to redeem creation through them is evidence of his love for them if they weren't so blind to see it in the moment. And God pushes in with his priest saying, you despise my name. You despise my name, which is to say, you hold me as worthless. You count me as worthless. God has just got done making an argument earlier on there uh, for his love for his people, that he has hated Esau while loving Jacob, which is to say that he has loved Jacob and he has made an enemy of Esau or of Edom. And then he says that his own people who he has loved have despised him, which is worse than hate. He's not only their enemy, he's worthless to them. So of course they push back in the dispute and they say, how have we despised you? To which God responds, you bring me polluted offerings. And that just demonstrates that I'm not worth your best. I'm worthless to you. The offerings you bring reveal what you really think of me. You never give like a diseased or lame or unclean thing like this as a gift to people you thought were really important. You're retreating from instead of leaning into difficulty. But you won't call it like it is. You just keep bringing me junk offerings, but you hold back your best because you are suspicious. You think that you can't trust me with your very best, and you think you know better about what's good for you and what should be, what should be going on. You think you know better about what you should experience than I do. I think we better listen up to this, church. Because we're, we aren't bringing animals to the altar these days. We aren't doing the same things that they were doing in Malachi, but we may be in a similar boat. Listen to what God says in the rest of this passage, verses 10 through 14. He says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle a fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snored at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or is sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Listen, this is what I want us to hear. Suspicion gets it wrong every time. Even when our suspicions are confirmed, suspicion gets it wrong every time because suspicion believes the lie that we share in the incommunicable attributes of God. That just means that there are attributes that God does not share with us, like his omniscience and his omnipresence and his omnipotence. He is other than us, and we don't have him wrapped up and packaged neatly. We don't have him nailed down. 
There are, there are attributes of God that we share, like love and creativeness and, and so on. But even those, he is wholly other. He is set apart and he is perfect. And when we are suspicious and when we trust and act on our suspicions, we are acting as though we can see the future, as if we have the power to change the future, as if we know more and know better than God himself. But suspicion gets it wrong every time because it believes the lie that we share the incommunicable attributes of God, and we don't. And God will not be mocked. He will not be despised or held as worthless. He will not be deterred from his mission to make his name famous and worshiped righteously in all of creation forever. And nothing can stand in the way of him accomplishing his mission We already know what the next book is in the Bible after this. It's Matthew. It's when Jesus steps on the scene. And so these folks, they didn't stop God, right? Jesus is the true and better Israel who delivers on God's promises to redeem all things through Abraham's family. Nothing is stopping him. Not even death can get in his way. Jesus already has dealt with that too. He has power over everything and he doesn't need our offerings or our loyalty, he will redeem everything just as he has always said he will, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. His kingdom will reign for eternity perfectly. And God isn't going to do it your way, and God isn't going to do it my way, and if he did, it would be a total letdown. Look, I'm just saying all of this to say that What we experience may not always be what we expect or hope for, and I get it. But we have every reason to fill the gaps with trust rather than the poison of suspicion. God has told us who he is. He has told us what he's doing, and he has demonstrated his steadfast love and his faithfulness time and again, just as he had done throughout the Old Testament before Malachi. And he has ultimately done that in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so I I don't know what tomorrow holds and I don't know who's going to win the election this week. And I don't know what the pandemic uh, is going to look like or when it will be over. And I don't know the future for our country and I don't know the future for our church. I don't even know the future for my family. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus has come and that he is with us and that he is coming again and that he's king of everything And that I can count it all joy in these many trials. And I can trust him in all things. And so can you. So regardless of who wins the presidency, Jesus is king. And regardless of what happens to Redemption Church, Jesus is king. And regardless of what uh, pleasures I get to enjoy or even what hardships I have to endure, Jesus is king and he is good and he is just. And we just need to know that He hasn't just invited us into like a a once and for all eternal after party. That's not all the salvation's about. He has rescued us into the fight of it all, right? He didn't die on the cross for our songs and our offerings, but to restore us to our created purpose of worshiping him with every breath that we breathe by making him known as his redemptive work rolls in and through us and out into the world. Jesus is king, 
He is building his church. And so I'm just calling on every one of us to choose to trust him. May we choose to trust him. Like when the experience doesn't match up with our expectations, choose to trust God anyway. Like an athlete knows that that pushing through the pain is worth it. Choose to trust God. Choose to trust like the heroes of our faith have done. Noah, Abraham, David, Paul, Peter, James, and ultimately Jesus, who all chose to trust God when it was hard, right? Noah looked like a fool, but he built an ark. Abraham trusted God with the life of his only son, Isaac. Paul trusted him through shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonment. James trusted him even into his own death. And Jesus trusted the Father enough to to humbly come out for us and to give his life for us. And so in a time, and especially, I think, in a week, where so many things of this world will tempt you to trust yourself or to trust a politician or a political party or trust anything in this world over Jesus the King because you're vulnerable and you're confused and you're struggling and then you're in pain. Embrace the struggle of it all and trust Jesus. Seek him first. Worship him with more than your songs. Surrender your life to him. Because even a painful life that is lived in light of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit will be far more satisfying and filled with a deep, incomprehensible joy than a pain-free life without Him. That's my prayer for us this week. Would you trust Him? Let's pray. Our Father, man, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for, for, for pulling us out of captivity and restoring us back into our created purposes, which is to, to make you famous, to make you known in all things, to, to glorify your name on all of the earth. Lord, you've rescued us into that through Christ, and you've pulled us in together to be a family of worshipers who do that together. I pray, God, that you help us to strive together side by side for the faith of that gospel. And help us to make you known. Help us to make the real Jesus known in downtown Augusta and beyond, wherever we live, work, and play. Help us to make Jesus known by being a people who trust Jesus more than anything else in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.